Well, hello and welcome to this special edition of Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, coming to you now recovered in the home office in Vienna, Austria. And I'm joined by my colleague, Dave Clement, who just got off the plane a couple hours ago. He's all fresh after our Venetian reunion. David, how goes it? Oh, it's good. I'm a little jet lagged. <laughs> I'm a little jet lagged. You think? <laughs> I haven't flown. Uh, I haven't flown anything cross continent in a while. Uh, but it was it was very nice to travel again. Um, lots, lot of takeaways from this. Uh, there seems to be some uncertainty as to whom is responsible to check your test result and at, at, at which point in your journey. Well, real quick, for background, um, I think we mentioned it last week, uh, but we had our Consumer Choice Center staff retreat in Venice, Italy, taking yes. advantage of those uh, very low uh, hotel costs. But uh, surprisingly, there were a good amount of uh, tourists, a lot of Americans, I gather, because of Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of people there. And yeah, we had people traveling from, I, I don't want to guess offhand, but probably eight countries, something yep. like this. Yeah, so. All with their, their different restrictions or rules or who needed a test and whatever. And uh, since you had, I think you've gone, you went through the most layovers. So yeah, what was that like in terms of checking your pass? Yeah, so in, in, in Toronto, I got there and the Air Canada guy um, was basically like, yeah, you have to go line up to get your documents checked and immediately in my head i'm like well that's entirely useless like this should be an online form this should just be auto approved like an algorithm that's going to be smarter than a human um to figure this out and so i'm in line and then the guy the the, the greeter i don't know what the right term is but he comes over and he's like oh sir no no you're good come here and i'm like okay I'm good. And he's like, yeah, 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 I trust you. And he just scans everything, prints off my boarding passes, and says, "Let's, you're good to go. So I'm assuming you were wearing your Adidas tracksuit well, while no, this happened. Uh, no, I was dressed. Um, I was dressed nicely. So I, I Dressed assumed, to the nines, yeah, as they say. I assume that that helped. But it was very strange. And then I connected in Germany. And the German guy just looked at me and was just like, Okay, good. Are you vaccinated? It's like, yes. He's like, okay, good. Purpose of the trip? I'm like, going to Italy. Okay, how long? I'm like, come home Thursday. And he's like, okay, good. And then I went through. Um, then when I got to Italy, there was nothing. So there was no, like, secondary check or anything like that. So they assumed that someone else along the way did the check. So I don't know if they were assuming that Air Canada did it or if Lufthansa from Frankfurt to Venice did it. It just left me with a lot of questions. Did you have to upload it at any point to the uh, airline website before you arrived in Europe? No. Okay, so I had to do that. but uh, So I had to my... do it for the way home, which is the ArriveCan app. So you have to do it for the ArriveCan app. And then you also, I also had to upload it for Lufthansa going home to Germany, or from Germany, sorry. So it, um, I, it's weird. The, the, the whole thing is like, just seems very in flux. Nobody really knows what's going on. Yeah. 
now well a lot of the the onus is put on the airlines and then you know they always said to have your vax pass ready at security but i don't yeah i don't think we showed that i don't think i showed that anywhere and i don't think this is going away david i was coming yeah. uh coming home to a lockdown uh austria i had left on monday morning you know so i didn't really get to see it in action but uh now uh, Austria is in a full lockdown here for another, I think, seven days, which will probably get extended, no doubt, because <laughs> they'll find some guy from South Africa who made his way here, Yeah, I guess. And uh, yeah, they'll probably just open it right up right before Christmas uh, to give the citizens a little bit of freedom. Yeah, I'm seeing, I'm seeing there's no travel, um, travel restrictions that are happening because of this new variant or something. People are freaking out. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, this actually, this kind of feels like, <laughs> this kind of feels like when two years ago we came home from Davos and it was like, ah, something's going on out there. Is it going to become a thing? And then fast forward four weeks and the whole world was at home. <laughs> yeah. Well, th this is the problem. They might have to do more of these restrictions because we can't have people crossing state lines. No, yeah, as it were, can't do that. <laughs> can't so yeah, I think that. overall, I think it was a, it was kind of a great experience. Uh, we're able to meet with many of our colleagues from Consumer Choice Center. If you guys don't know Consumer Choice Radio, this program, ConsumerChoiceRadio.com, we are a project. If you're in Canada, or a project, if you're in the U.S., of uh, the Consumer Choice Center, we're a global consumer advocacy group. We've been doing all kinds of campaigns related to lifestyle freedom, uh, to digital mobility policies, uh, everything related to evidence-based policies and science as well. And it's been a busy time. It's good to, to kind of sit back. I know for the next few segments, David, we want to play your interview uh, with uh, Peter Jaworski, uh, Professor mm -hmm. Jaworski. Um, he'll be talking about uh, paid plasma donations in Canada and about vaccine lotteries, which, uh, you know, we, we saw that in the very beginning. And I, are they going to have to do a whole new lottery for boosters at this point? Because because uh, <laughs> the Austrian law tells me if I don't get the booster by February first, uh, technically I'll be fined uh, fifteen hundred euros. Yeah, so. that's a, that's a lot of money. Yeah, and probably a, not what I'd get in a vaccine lottery. So uh. yeah, maybe they need to redo <laughs> the lotteries. Yeah, I we'll mean, see about that. For me, it would just be the the opportunity to win money on something that I'm probably already going to do anyway. So it's like okay, well. It, it's not going to sway whether or not I get a booster. Um, although, who knows, given what's going on in, in Canada <laughs> right now. Because uh, I have no idea what the booster strategy really is. Like, I know some of, her, some of, um, some of our groups, uh, or provinces, sorry, have like started to roll it out, but based on specific groups and ages. And I don't think it's anywhere near like the under 35 age group. And they're really prioritizing children now um, because they have approval. And so I think it'll be a while actually before I get a booster, probably after you. Mm, yeah, after I'm forced to by law, but <laughs> yeah, it could be. We're we're seeing how all of it will play out, and I know there's probably everything's going to change in the next three days, so probably not much use in, in analyzing it too much. Uh, there were some news stories that were happening. Again, I I could I, I guess to to 
to recap our little trip, I mean, that was, I think, a very cool locale. I think we were able to talk about a lot of different projects, stuff we want to work on. There's a lot of great stuff coming for this program. If you're listening to Consumer Choice Radio, either on the air or in podcast form, Podcasting 2.0, send us your sats if you're uh, Bitcoin enabled. Uh, But I know that for for the future, I mean, um, it's it's going to be probably a circumstance where we're doing much much more of our activism at home. And uh, there's a couple meetings I was trying to throw together in you know either in D.C. or in Pennsylvania in the next uh, month or two. But uh, I think that's pretty much going to have to be chucked out the window, as far as I know. Yeah, it certainly feels like that. I don't know. I I don't have much optimism anymore. <laughs> I mean, Premier Ford has said that the the uh, um, the, the end date for all COVID restrictions is basically like I think it's like near the end of March, and I don't know if uh, I don't know if we'll ever. I don't think that that date will hold. Let's put it that way. So, I mean, yeah, well, we'll see how that goes. I had one story I, I wanted to bring up, because this is kind of interesting. It ties into culture, to authoritarianism, and uh, to <clears throat> to basically what we do and what we allow in many of our countries. I don't know if you saw this story, David. This is from Business Insider. Headline, a North Korean man who smuggled a squid game into the country is to be executed by firing squad. And a high school student who bought a USB drive with the show will be jailed for life, report says. Whoa. So what? there have been a many organizations who've, you know, done little airdrops of USBs with Korean TV shows or with, you know, texts or ebooks and stuff to, you know, give something to the North Korean people who are generally held in a in a very strange despotic totalitarian state and don't really have access to these free materials but now somebody who brought in squid game which is a south korean show facing the firing squad well that is wild that's like pure squid game too (laughs) i mean well here's the thing is either this is true and reveals a lot i mean nothing new but it does reveal that there's got to be something that we got to do or it's the biggest ad and the best ad I've ever seen for this program. Ah, uh, yeah, it's like some guerrilla marketing technique. <laughs> it could be. It could be a hoax in, in two days. <laughs> it says report. It's Radio Free Asia, which okay. is, uh, yeah, I don't know. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it says a source in law enforcement. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, we're, this is live, so uh, we never know what's really going to happen with these kind of things. But yeah, despotic regimes, despotic governments. Uh, there's more that's happening as well up in Belarus uh, when it comes to the border crisis, and they're sending in uh, as many people as possible to try to destabilize Poland. Uh, there's there's a you know it, it might be the season of the despotic regimes as well, and. It's been very hard to discuss that in the past two years just because yes. our liberal countries have been taking so many drastic measures. It's like, whoa. <laughs> hmm. Not yeah. sure who's in the right here. Yeah. At least we don't live in Australia, though. This is true. And I, I mean, from what I could see, Australia and New Zealand 
since they're talking about this new yeah. variant coming out of, of of South Africa, I mean, no doubt they're going to shut down again super quick. Oh, uh, I mean, if they were like if they were arresting people for walking maskless alone outside before, I can only imagine the level of insanity they're going to reach with a new, more transmissible variant. And I, I, uh, I mean, I, what are they going to do next? Just weld people's doors shut? <laughs> like, you stay at home. Well, <laughs> like, just... like they did to the parks in New York City? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, I just don't know. I don't know how this is. Like, I even said this here. Now, I'm not an optimist, but the general consensus, at least in my view, um, based on some anecdotes that I've seen, is that I don't think the the populist will tolerate another like full lockdown. Um, I don't know what that would mean, but yeah, I don't think that they would tolerate another full lockdown of everybody you, being home and only essential services being open and things like that. You say that, but I'm living in your dystopian yeah, future. I so. know you are. <laughs> Uh, so, David, we've got uh, about a minute left here. We're going to be uh, re-airing our interview because I think it's very pressing and uh, something that we'll, we'll probably have some stuff out on in the next few weeks uh, on paid plasma donations with Dr. Peter Jaworski. Can you give mm-hmm. our listeners a little bit of a preview of that? Yes, he's a, a professor at Georgetown University. Um, just an absolute gem. And he carries the banner for paid plasma, um, which is something very common in the U.S. It supplies most of the, the world's plasma supply, but it's opposed vehemently by a select few groups. So you'll hear from him on that and then some of the other research areas he has um, uh, focused on over the last five or so years. So it's a great, uh, great interview, great guest. Hope that you enjoy it. Perfect. All right. We'll cue that up. It's uh, Thanksgiving week uh, across the U.S., so now a lot of people are taking breaks with your families. Hope you guys are able to enjoy. Continue listening to us. We'll be back next week with another Consumer Choice Radio, fresh out of the can, fresh out of the bucket, some good interviews. We'll be right back after this with Peter Jaworski. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio. I have the pleasure of uh, introducing our next guest. Uh, Our next guest is Peter Jaworski, who is a professor of ethics at Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business. He spends his time researching and writing about the ethics and economics of the global plasma industry. Peter, thank you for joining us on Consumer Choice Radio. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on the show. So I, I know you're you're probably itching to to chat about to about plasma, but I did want to first chat with you about vaccine lotteries because it for me they I feel like they overlap in terms of the ethical concerns and whether they're effective and things like that. So some U.S. states have have started the process of creating a lottery um, upwards in the millions of dollars for folks who do get the COVID nineteen vaccine. I believe Alberta has followed suit and done something similar. Um, from your point of view, the work you do as someone who is um, researching and writing about this full time, what is your take on vaccine lotteries? Are they effective? Are they 
ethical? Yeah, great question. Uh, you're right. There is a common thread between my research and my work on the global blood plasma industry and the case of using incentives, including financial incentives, to encourage people to get vaccinated. And that common thread just is the, the question of the effectiveness of those incentives. So you mentioned the lotteries. Um, there's one, the Vaximillion lottery in Ohio, and we actually have some results from that. There's also uh, a large uh, lottery in the state of New York. We don't yet have good data on that, but there have been others as well. You mentioned Alberta, but also Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, a real estate developer put up an apartment worth, uh, I think it was 1.4 million US dollars. So, so there is a lottery that they started on May 28th. Uh, and it was started by a real estate developer. And you can win as a grand prize, this really expensive and fancy apartment building. Okay, so like I said, we have some results. We have results from Hong Kong, as well as from Ohio. The effect of the Vaximillion lottery in Ohio has been incredibly positive. I mean, the numbers simply soared. I have them here in front of me. I, um, let's see here. So, um, I should have them here. Why don't I have them here? At any rate, the, the numbers were off the charts, especially for younger people. So people who are 16 to 17 years old, 96% increase in vaccination rates in the state of Ohio. Uh, amongst other people, we saw increases that were greater than 50%. In Hong Kong, you saw May 28th, they institute the, the lottery for the apartment. You saw an increase from 10,000 vaccinations up to 15,000 the day after. And the latest data that we have uh, on June 1st, you had somewhere on the order of 35,000 people being vaccinated uh, uh, daily. So you can see that these are effective and I would expect them to be effective in Alberta and in New York as well. I, I can only imagine, I, I've seen some um, I've seen some folks, if you want to say in the center right universe, gripe about like Congressman Thomas Massey was griping about whether it was an appropriate use of, of public funds. But at least from my perspective, look at the, like, if we look at this as a, from a cost benefit analysis, what is the cost every day the pandemic roars on and you have restrictions and business closures, uh, but also people getting sick. There's an immense financial cost in terms of people getting sick, people dying, etc. I would assume, um, although we probably don't have the figures on this, but I would assume that this would, by leaps and bounds, pass a cost-benefit analysis in terms of the financial savings on a macro level. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen any research on that or if you have any um, comment on whether or not it, they do meet that bar, but at least from my perspective, for me, it feels like a no-brainer. The state of New York, the state of Ohio, receive federal funds. Taxpayers are going to be footing the bill for a public health measure. The question is what's going to work and what's going to be most effective. Traditionally, we use information and education campaigns. So, okay, is it Thomas Massey's position that it is better for the government to hire a marketing firm and put together really fancy you know, television advertisements and radio commercials and to put together glossy pamphlets and maybe some magazine advertisements? <laughs> That's a really good use of that tax money, but creating a lottery that spends the same amount of money, right? It spends the same amount of money. That's yeah. 
So I don't understand if the objective is to increase vaccination rates, then the only question that matters is what's most effective here. And it seems clear to me that the use of financial incentives, including lotteries, uh, it looks to be effective. I wanted to mention too, that there have now been two studies. One is a preprint, so it's not yet published. The other one okay. appeared in Nature and both of those showed, I mean, the one in Nature showed that um, incentives up to $100 for people to go had a minimal impact on vaccinations. The other, the preprint had a larger sample size and it found a positive relationship between almost any amount of incentive going up. So that would be, and you know, the data that I've seen in the past suggests to me that we should anticipate increased vaccinations at increased levels of incentives, right? So mm -hmm. we do have data for it and yeah. that's the way to go if you want the objective. And it's like how to spend it properly. I'm just not a fan of advertisements, I guess. Well, yeah, and it goes, it reminds me, there was a good Andrew Coyne piece in the Globe and Mail where it was like the pandemic has taught us that the government is really only good at giving people money. It's not very good at administering these very complex plans. And I can only assume that um, hiring a marketing and PR firm would be uh, probably a lot less effective than just saying, hey, do you want a shot at willing, winning a million bucks? Um, that sounds that sounds pretty pretty good to me. I should, um, I should add to so, that, by so, the way, that you get, pardon, pardon my interruption, but you get bigger bang no, no, for no, your no buck. Worries. You get bigger bang for your buck with the use of lotteries than, for example, a straightforward incentive. So if you have a lottery for $5 million and suppose it costs you $5,100,000 to put it together, or whatever, $5,100,000 yeah. to put it together and to run it, you will get a higher benefit than if you proportioned that $5 million and gave people what they would expect to receive given the probability of winning mm -hmm. that sum of money. The way people deal with those probabilities is different and people tend to really like the idea of a small probability at a very big prize rather than to get the expected mm -hmm. amount when you multiply the probability by the large prize. So it's better that way. Yeah, yeah, it's like if you were to take the money, divide it up, and it was twenty bucks for to to go and get vaccinated, you may not see the same uptick uptick as you would um, if you were to offer people the chance to win a million dollars, five million dollars, ten million dollars, whatever it is. So, um, tapping into a bit of human psychology there in terms of why people respond to uh, odds in certain ways. But another issue um, that you have. I would say made kind of international headway on is compensating um, those who donate their blood plasma, um, something that's widely accepted in the United States, um, something that is not necessarily widely accepted elsewhere, and it's uh, not very um, prevalent in, in Canada with several provinces having bans on it. So would you mind just framing for our listeners what it means to donate plasma and why it works in terms of compensating people for their donation. Yeah, so plasma is the yellow part of your blood. It's the part within which the red and white blood cells and the platelets are suspended. Uh, plasma is also contains a, a number of proteins. And what we do is we take that plasma, we separate out the other components, just the proteins um, in that plasma, and we create 
plasma-derived medicinal products or just plasma therapies, including immunoglobulin, clotting factor, uh, albumin, and a number of others as well. These are really useful for people who have certain rare diseases, um, um, a lot of rare blood disorders like hemophilia, for example, benefit from the use of these plasma therapies. Uh, there are also uh, a variety of other ailments like multifocal motor neuropathy, um, and also you know, primary and secondary immunodeficiency patients and people who have auto, autoimmune diseases, they rely on these therapies as well. And at the moment, basically the entire world is overwhelmingly dependent on the United States. The latest figure that I've seen is 66%. 66% of the entire world's plasma used to manufacture these therapies comes from the United States. If you add Germany, Austria, Hungary, and the Czech Republic to that total, you get 89%, as high as 89% of the entire world's plasma for making these drugs, these medicines, and if you, if you think about that, that's 5% of the world's population contributing nine-tenths of all of the plasma of the world. Canada is over 80% reliant on the United States. And you're right, Alberta recently overturned that. Um, um, of which I think you deserve a lot of credit for. Uh, I, I, that can't go without saying, because you were one of the people kind of loudly beating that drum for a long time. And then finally... Um, legislators there um, with a lot of just completely ridiculous criticism uh, coming their way did do the right thing and, and did uh, overturn that misguided ban. So I, I do have to say kudos to you for that one. Uh, I really appreciate that. You also put pen to paper and wrote a number of opinion pieces that I had uh, that I think had a significant effect as well. So yeah, as, as, as I was saying, um, Basically, the world depends on the few jurisdictions that permit commercial plasma collections using uh, a financial incentive model. The United States and the other four countries in Europe that I mentioned, they pay people to donate plasma. By the way, this is perfectly safe, and of course it is, right? That was one of the, you know, Ontario banned payment for plasma donations back in 2014. One of the biggest arguments there was that this might be unsafe, that like we can't pay for plasma, it would be unsafe. But notice, please notice that Canada uses pay for plasma. So of course it's safe, it mm -hmm. has to be. Both Health Canada and Canadian Blood Services have repeatedly said, that the therapies made from plasma given by donors who are compensated is just as safe as the therapies made from the plasma of people who are not compensated. It's just as safe, right? So we are seeing here a similar situation when you consider vaccines and also plasma because the, the situation that we find ourselves in as a result of the pandemic is I think pretty dire for patients who depend on these plasma therapies. So, you know, on top of all of the other devastating effects of the pandemic is the fact that there has been 25 to 50%, I've heard as high as 50% 50, 50 reduction in the number of plasma donations in the United States. And the United States supplies 66% mm -hmm. of the world. So we are about to confront yeah, that, I mean, a shortage. A sounds like a pretty monumental shortage. Yeah, and, it depends and, I mean, on I how badly imagine. it goes. Yeah, there was. Um, yeah, I was going to say I can doctor. only imagine how 
please go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I, can, I was going to say, I can only imagine how devastating that would be for, although I don't know anyone personally who relies on these medicines, I do know that they are incredibly important in terms of quality of life and all sorts of other important um, factors in, in how someone lives. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to see a shortage of 20%, let alone 50%. Um, I do know quite a few uh, patients who rely on these medicines and you're exactly right. The therapies help people's lives, but um, they are also the kind of therapies that save lives as well. So if you are someone who is immunodeficient, you, you know, uh, a lot of people are familiar with the boy in the bubble, right? Do you remember there was a movie yep. and, and, and stories <laughs> yep. about the I boy in the bubble? So uh, people who, who have immunodeficiency, their body doesn't create antibodies or, their anti or the antibodies that their body creates are in um, various ways deficient. So what people who suffer with immunodeficiency have to do is they either stay at home or they use immunoglobulin replacement therapy. And they rely on the antibodies that are present in your, in my plasma in order to fight off common diseases. So for, for you and me, the common cold is nothing, no big deal. But for somebody mm -hmm. who has an immune deficiency, a common cold can kill them because they simply don't have the antibodies. We have to go to break, but if you don't mind, I'd love to have you with us for our next portion, if you can spare another 10 or 15 minutes with us, because I think there's a lot more here to discuss. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, you're listening to Peter Jaworski, a ethics professor at Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business. Uh, we were just chatting about the possibility of a blood plasma shortage, the misguided uh, policies of some governments that prohibit compensation for blood plasma donations. Um, I, I, I want to dig in here into either for vaccine lotteries or for plasma donations, some of the ethical questions. So some people um, on Twitter especially have loudly argued that there is some aspect or level of coercion in regards to compensating folks to get a vaccine or to donate their plasma. Um, I don't view that as coercion in any way. I think that's because I view coercion very much in the literal sense. So they're not being forced. It's, it's, it is an incentive. But um, I know you've done a lot of research on this, including um, uh, some, some very uh, influential and important scholarly works on it. And so what is, what is your response as someone who teaches ethics um, in regards to the, the, the question of coercion? Yeah, that's a great question. So let me respond by first echoing what you said. I also don't regard at least the models that we have, at least the, the things that are operating um, both for plasma donation as well as for the vaccine lotteries, I don't regard those as coercive. Uh, the thought behind that argument is that when you make a medical decision, you should pause and you should think about what's best for you. And then there are relevant considerations or reasons of the right sort to make a particular kind of medical decision. And then there are irrelevant or reasons of the wrong sort to make the very same decision. People argue that when you wave money in front of people's noses, then they might 
make a medical decision on the basis of the wrong reason. Like they might do it in order to get the incentive rather than because they've spent some time thought about it and decided that this is the best thing for them to do. I think in the case of vaccinations, most people don't find that persuasive because we have overwhelming evidence that getting vaccinated is a good idea. Um, and uh, people ought to make that decision. Of course, I'm not saying that people should be forced, but I am saying that that is a reason of the right kind. In the case of, of plasma, what we're worried about is somebody who is so desperate and the amount of money is so large that there is nothing else that they think about apart from the money when they make this medical decision. Now, again, in the case of plasma, donating plasma, look, we encourage people to do it for free. It's a safe procedure. For your listeners, I want to encourage them to both get vaccinated and also to donate plasma or blood, right? You should donate blood or plasma as well. Yep. It's a safe procedure. It's not, it's not surgery or something significant. And the sums of money that we're talking about are in fact large, relatively speaking. It takes about an hour and a half to donate plasma. You used to be paid about $50 to do it on average. Now that has, that has risen to about $75 to $100. So that's a lot per hour, but we're not talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. It's not $50,000 that people are offered and then they can't think about anything other than the money in their eyes, right? Um, so I don't, mm -hmm. so even if you want to make an argument that this is coercive, the way that it's practiced on both the vaccine side and the plasma side, I just don't find it compelling. And what are some of what are some of the other kind of major ethical questions that you faced in, in, in regards to what you're doing? What what else does the opposition say? Yeah, great question. Um, so here are the two, I, I guess, major ones. The one that I came across often in Canada and still comes up in Canada and in other places, too, is, look, people should give plasma out of pure altruism, out of the kindness of their hearts rather than out of a regard for the thickness of their wallet. Right? That's the argument. People should be altruistic. And so there's something wrong with a system where we allow people to give plasma and be paid for it. I have a couple of things to say in response to that. Uh, one is we don't know, actually, uh, it's an assumption that people who give their plasma and receive money in exchange, it's an assumption that they are not doing it with pro-social or altruistic reasons. Um, you might think it's a reasonable assumption, and I agree, it's a reasonable assumption, but it would be good if we tested it. Why would it be good to test it? Because consider that a nurse is paid for what he does. And yet we think of nurses as people who do it both for the money as well as out of pro-social concern. Same with the doctors, same with the phlebotomists. It's kind of weird, everybody at Canadian Blood Services, from the administrators down to the workers, everybody gets paid to do what they do, except for the person whose plasma it is. And we don't question the altruism of any of the employees of Canadian Blood Services. It's just the, the donor's altruism that is questionable. Okay, so that's one sort of response. I think that's, you know, I'd love to see a study on it. The second response is to say, hold on a second. The point of a plasma collection system, a blood collection system, is to ensure that we have enough supply to meet the needs of patients. That's the point. 
The point of this system mm -hmm. is not to give you and me an opportunity to do something altruistic or, a, or an opportunity to be beneficent. That's not the point. That's a nice feature about blood donation. It's a nice feature. It's a nice to have, but it's not essential. It's not the primary point or purpose of this system that we have in place. And if that's true, and if it's true that paying people for plasma donations ensures that patients have enough product in order to be able to continue to live, then we need to adopt that policy. You know, so much the worst for opportunity for altruism. Just go ahead and hug people more often, right? Because it's not as yeah. though we're at a loss for opportunities for altruism or beneficence. Yeah, we we can't have the warm and fuzzies can't be priority A in terms of ensuring we have enough blood or blood blood plasma. Uh, the priority should be whatever the most effective uh, voluntary system is to, like you said, meet um, meet the needs of patients and especially for plasma. If there is a shortage coming, I can only imagine that we're in for a world of hurt. Um, I do also want to just kind of comically chat about some of the more hilarious objections you've gotten because I and you, you you'll have to prime our listeners for this one, but I, you did receive some rather strange criticism from uh, members of the Alberta NDP in regards to your stance and your involvement in some government testimony. So prime our listeners to to some of those strange criticisms as the as the, um, the maybe, maybe the American in the room. <laughs> yeah, I, I did appear on a committee discussing um, the Voluntary Blood Donations Repeal Act, which was put forward by, uh, through a private member's bill by MLA uh, Tani Yao. And so when I appeared at committee, the first question was, why is an American interested in Canada's um, system of plasma collection, right? And that that is funny because I actually went ahead and went to Twitter and changed and added one of those emojis or icons or whatever at the top that had the Canadian flag. Uh, because with this MLA, and I forget her name, but what she failed to look at, and I think it's kind of funny to not even bother to do basic research on the people who are appearing at committee, is that I am Canadian, right? I became a Canadian. Now, yes, I was born in Poland, but uh, uh, but I did come to Canada when I was nine years old. Uh, I became a citizen four years later, and I've been a Canadian, you know, for my entire almost now. Well, the majority of my lifetime, I've been a Canadian, a proud Canadian. I still cheer for the Toronto Maple Leafs, although this was uh, very disappointing and depressing. Uh, but the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays are doing fantastic. <laughs> Yes, yeah, the Blue Jays, the Blue, the Raptors aren't any aren't good anymore. The Leafs just continually disappoint, but the Jays are still, they're still feeding the flame a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I when I saw that exchange, I ended up actually writing about it. It just seemed so strange that it was almost like the merits of the arguments against blood plasma. It was like she knew that there wasn't anything in her case, and so she had to somehow question your motives or your own personal incentives or and I, I, I see this all the time. It's like, oh, maybe you maybe you're funded by big blood. 
I'm, I'm still not sure where Big Blood is or who Big Blood is. <laughs> I've yet to find such an entity or a conglomeration of Big Blood. Um, but I just found that it was hilarious that right off the bat, it was like, okay, well, we're not going to get to the substance. Um, we're going to question your motives in what I think would have been outright xenophobic if you were not Amer like if she was not accusing you of being American, if she was accusing you of being Brazilian or Mexican, it it would have been very uncomfortable. That would have been something that that skirted the lines of what would be considered very inappropriate for a public official. Um, and so, yeah, it was just so strange to see. But um, for anyone who's interested in uh, that article or Peter's exchange, we will put those in the show notes because um, it is quite entertaining to see our public officials behave in such an embarrassing way. Um, we have a we have a few minutes here, Peter, before we wrap up. Um, what else are you working on? Because I know you've published books on um, on 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 applying the market to everything. You were the very wise person who once said to me, uh, anything that you can do, anything that you can legally do for free, you should be able to legally do for profit. Um, which, which a lot of people, when they first hear that are like, well, I don't understand what that means. And then you explain it and you're like, Oh, okay. Now I understand the arguments for some very taboo topics, whether it be sex work or, um, anything in those in, in in that regard but what else are you working on what can we what can we hold our breaths for um coming down the pipeline here so i do have uh, thank you for all of that let me just comment one last time about the politician who asked me those questions sure uh, yeah i i agree with you i think i think in a way I, you know it does take me aback a little bit i'm always surprised when people feel free to say anti-American things in, you know, a Canadian legislature or, or a, a parliament um, in Canada, and I think that's disappointing. And and it's exactly right. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Even if I were an American, it shouldn't matter. And the arguments should stand on their own. Okay. In terms of what I'm working on and what you should hold your breath for, I have a couple of articles coming out. One is uh, an article that I wrote with my uh, friend, David Faraci, also a philosopher. Um, uh, it's called On Spaces for Altruism. That's coming out in Public Affairs Quarterly. I think it actually just came out. And that addresses this argument about the importance of spaces for altruism. Um, so when I said the point of collecting plasma is to make sure we have enough for patients rather than to provide a space for altruism or an opportunity for people to be beneficent, that comes out of that article. So that's coming out. I have two separate articles that I'm working on. One is coming out uh, in an Oxford University press book on exploitation with my colleague, Mark Wells, Dr. Mark Wells, who is uh, also a philosopher. Uh, so we argue first in one paper, that's the one coming out as a chapter in a book, uh, that paying people for plasma donations is not exploitative according to any of the theories of exploitation that philosophers have thus far constructed. The second one is an attempt to show that Canada's behavior purchasing plasma from the United States is itself possibly wrongfully exploitative of Americans. So that's an effort to sort of flip the argument on its head and to demonstrate that at least some of the actors on the Canadian side 
are behaving in ways that are plausibly described as wrongfully exploitative. I'm also looking at the gift market distinction and um, trying to work on that as well. That's very interesting. Um, I'll be I'll be looking forward to that. Um, the, I've read a lot of your work. I, I can't recommend it highly enough uh, for our listeners. You will learn all sorts of interesting things that people pay for, like folks who will will cry and mourn at your funeral, uh, to all sorts of other um, maybe culturally bizarre examples for, for those in North America. But Peter, thank you very much for joining us on Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the time. And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check out Consumer Choice Radio for much more. Consumer Choice Radio, hosted by Yael Asoski and myself, David Clement, is a syndicated weekly conversation featuring the latest news, interviews, and expert analysis that covers consumer topics from around the world, focusing on innovation, tech, regulatory policy, and science, Tune in every week to learn why consumer choice matters. You can find all of our previous episodes, interviews, and show notes over on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com, as well as the podcast version of this show. And as always, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you do listen to your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at ConsumerCRadio, myself at Y-A-E-L-O-S-S, and David at Clement Liberty. And find our interviews on YouTube and Instagram just looking up Consumer Choice Radio. If there is a consumer issue affecting you that you think that we should cover, email us directly at hello at consumerchoiceradio.com. Thank you again for listening.
of America is healed and well again. Say it. Hallelujah. Lord.